and we are back running lifestyle culture podcast i am coach manny avola nike running coach and physiotherapist i like to think um i'm the people's coach i want to be there for you every single one of you um if it's your first run your last run however many runs you've done and this week I am really excited on this podcast to be talking lifestyle. Um, the podcast has been going now and you know covering lots of different topics, running lifestyle culture and how they intertwine. Um, this week it's a lifestyle it's a lifestyle episode, and this episode has a very very important guest from my perspective because I have um, interacted with some of the work uh, this person has done and actually has impacted me. Um, you know, incredibly, and um, it's made me really think about uh, things in a different way. So, this week we have Mr. Brad Stolberg. Hello, Brad. How are you? Hey, Manny. I'm well. How are you? Yeah, I'm really, really well. Thank you. Um, first of all, where are you in the world? I am calling from Asheville, North Carolina, which is in the mid Atlantic portion of the United States. Amazing. And um, for people who don't know you, Brad, tell us who you are. Who are you? So I, I wear a few hats. Uh, personally, I'm a husband and father and what I call an armchair athlete. So I, <laughs> I try to be as good as I can, but I certainly don't do it professionally. And then professionally, I, I wear two main hats. Uh, one is as a writer who is really interested in sustainable excellence and mastery, and the other as a coach who works with executives, physicians, entrepreneurs, um, a handful of athletes as well, really on applying the principles and practices that I write about to their own respective pursuits. Amazing. And I think you are definitely the person we want to be talking to about lifestyle. And um, from, from my perspective as a physiotherapist, things that I see and I um, encounter, I believe um, you probably unraveled and I'm really looking forward to talking to you about this conversation, about this topic. Um, one thing that I would like to ask you, what do you think, what do you think helps people unravel, unpick a sustainable lifestyle? Well, I think that there's a couple of main components here. The first is figuring out the various domains that are important to you. So by that, I mean physical movement and activity could be a domain, relationships could be a domain, uh, spirituality could be a domain, nutrition could be a domain, um, community could be a domain beyond intimate relationships. And they're gonna look different for every person, but each person I believe has a core set of areas of their life that are important to them. And then once you've defined that core set of areas, you want to make sure that you're shooting at least a six or a seven out of 10 at all times on each. Now, it's not to say you're going to be 10 out of 10 across all of them. It's very hard to do. In some cases, it's even counterproductive. There are times when you're going to emphasize one domain over another. But the key is to never let anyone fall behind. And I think by doing that, we can create this really solid foundation um, I call it groundedness, where then any kind of striving or excellence or peak performance can, can be rooted in that and therefore it becomes more sustainable. So in short, it's figure out what are the important elements, domains of your life, 
what does it look like to shoot 10 out of 10 on each? What does it look like to shoot six out of 10 on each? And then how can you try to be between those two targets at any given point in time? That is so, uh, it's so impactful because I actually, I, I listened to your audiobook, um, The Practice of Groundedness, and really just had, it really had a profound impact on the way I think. Um, and those, as you've just said there, I think it's really key for us not to try and think about being everything to everyone all the time. And I feel that's a very, very common thread. Do you find that a lot with the people you work with? I do. And I think that what ends up happening is if you try to emphasize or maximize all parts of your life at once, you end up building all this pressure in, it's a trite metaphor, but it's true. Eventually, you know, the, the pressure cooker boils over. Um, I think a really keen example is someone who decides that they're going to run their first marathon or maybe someone who decides they want to go sub three or qualify for the trials of the Olympics, whatever it is, they take on a big running goal. And at the same time, they're trying to get promoted at their workplace. And at the same time, they just had their third child. And at the same time, they've got a family member that is ill that they need to be um, a caregiver for. And what ends up happening is suddenly you feel a lot of psychological stress because you feel like you're selling yourself short in any of these given areas just to stay afloat. Um, that's where the common trap emerges. So I like to think of it more as having seasons for different things that you're gonna emphasize. So when you're emphasizing your marathon, that might actually be a good time to pull back the throttle at work. Not to say phone it in, but maybe you shouldn't be uh, striving for that key big promotion at the same time you're training for your first marathon. Um, I never recommend that someone takes on a huge goal when they have just had a young child for the same reason. So it's not to say that we can't go all in, it's just that we can't go all in on everything at once. And I think that having um, more of a seasonal view to your year, your decade, and even your life is, is really interesting. Something that I found in my reporting, when you talk to people that are really high performance over time, but also high fulfillment. So these people are happy, they've done it the right way. When you zoom in on any given moment, they don't look very balanced. They're really prioritizing one or two things. But then when you zoom out and you look across their entire lives, they actually look very balanced. They've done all sorts of things. And that's the approach that I think really works well. Yeah, I love that. I think um, being part of a community, uh, with, you know, being part of a running community, and um, I, see it, I see that this a lot. And I see that we, we almost want to master so quickly so we lose track of almost the process and we want to uh, strive for the finish line or the the achievement it, almost in overnight um, and one thing that we learn in you know I, I did a degree in in sports science along with my physiotherapy degree and one thing we learn is uh, periodization um, have you heard of that term before of course yeah, yeah. stress plus rest equals growth um, yep and and I think if if we could talk about periodization a lot more within wider um, circles, I think it's going to be a tool everybody will will think about using. Um, and yeah, I think that's po possibly what you just you know really alluded to. So anybody listening, please do think about this periodization. Think about those seasons, like Brad has just um, 
really lovely defined and i think it's so and so so important um and what do you and, think? and i think the other parallel to to training if i may real quick interject is it's not just periodization but you also in running training you never want to leave anything important completely behind so there might be a time for speed work, but you're still going to work on like the over distance run. You're just yeah. not going to emphasize it. Yeah. You still might be doing one or two strength workouts a month instead of one or two strength workouts a week. Or maybe if you're really elite, you're only doing a strength workout once every three months during yeah. a speed kind of sharpen the saw season, but you're never leaving it totally behind. And I think that also applies to our life Yeah. that for whatever makes us quote unquote fit for life. We're going to periodize, we're going to emphasize during different seasons, different things, but we can never, we, sh we should aim not to leave anything completely behind. Um, and I think that it really is a beautiful uh, metaphor to use training for, for running is, is a metaphor for, for how you get fit for life. You got, again, you identify those domains, those capabilities that make you strong and, and feel good and, and, and perform well as a person. And then you emphasize and de-emphasize depending on your goals while never leaving anything behind. And I think, you know, you know better than me, Manny, but that's probably like pretty, pretty sound programming advice for a runner too. For sure. I mean, yeah, you'll be, I think, I think we've got to get to a point, everybody out there that we, um, we are like architects of our lifestyle rather than allowing our lifestyle be controlling us. And that's one thing that I'm really passionate about is people designing or being architects of their lifestyle and allowing yourself to think, actually, let me not just go on the ride of, um, you know, you work for, for the Friday night so you can go out, release the stress. And then Saturday, you're kind of waking up a little bit later. You haven't really got the weekend. And then Sunday evening, you're feeling a bit stressed because it's, it's going to be Monday morning. And then you get back on the wheel and you kind of wait until you're Friday evening where you're kind of releasing all the stress and, and and I think we've got to be architects and one thing that I do think has been quite impactful and some people may or may not agree is it's the ability to work from home have you found that's changed people's lifestyles Brad? Yeah I have and I, I found that it, it cuts both ways for a lot of people on the one hand it is really opening in the sense that you save commute time um, you potentially save time that it would take you to get ready for work, to get dressed, to try to look a certain way, depending on what your job is. Um, and you save a fair amount of, um, what I call, well, it's not my word. It's actually the, um, the economist, David Graeber, who, who recently passed away, but he called it bullshit jobs, like bullshit mm. work. Like you don't have to do that. If you're working from home, you're setting yeah. your own schedule. You can be more productive. I think what people lose is that sense of community that comes from a really good workplace and that sense of innovation that can happen. And I think for any given person in any given company, whether it's a overall positive or negative, it really depends. So for somebody that fills that community gap with their neighborhood, their running club, their friends, then working remotely can be wonderful. For someone whose major source of community was their workplace, then it can be pretty isolating and, and lonely. So um, I try not to be dogmatic on this topic. I also think that it's still so early in how we're learning how to work remotely and, and how to manage it that a lot will hopefully change and, and get better over time. Um, but it's a long-winded way of saying that I think that it absolutely gives people more autonomy to craft the lifestyle that they want. And if you do a good job of um, taking control of that, it can be really beneficial. 
But to your earlier point, if you just kind of like let the inertia takes you where it will, you could end up pretty lonely and isolated. Yeah, I, I think um, those are really good points and things sometimes we don't, um, I don't think we consider as well. Um, and community is something that's had a big impact on myself since um, COVID and, and uh, lockdown has been lifted and um, building um, and joining a running community and being part of something. Um <laughs> There was a specific uh, phrase that really impacted me in your book, um, The Practice of Groundedness. Um, it was, um, do, it was, it was, it was Ai, Wei, Ai Wei Wu, is that correct? Or Ai Wei Wu, The Practice of Doing Nothing. Oh, yes. Uh, doing non-doing. Doing non-doing. Honestly, everybody, this blew my mind because I, I think I do this. I think sometimes I just sit around <laughs> doing this and then suddenly like 48 hours later I have this great idea and it's like I didn't know what to call it and I think this this you you know you encapsulated it and I've been looking into um, videos about it and listening to, to kind of YouTube videos about it but I think you'll, you'll explain it a lot better than I can so could you give us a bit more of an in-depth understanding of what what this is? Right. So there's, um, for the longest time in spiritual and creative traditions, there has been a sense of the mystical. So there's our subconscious that's just always operating. And if we just give it a chance to do its thing, it will grant us with wonderful feelings, wonderful ideas, so on and so forth. And this has been around since the beginning of time. It's all the contemplative traditions, whether Buddhism, Islam, Judaism, Christianity, Taoism, Stoicism, right? These all at their core have some kind of prayer or contemplation. Now, more recently, modern science has come in and it's shown that a lot of these ancient wisdom traditions were actually onto something that is empirically true, which is that when we give our brains, our minds, our bodies time to just shut down and wander, we access this whole other neurocircuitry that is associated with creativity and breakthrough thinking. Now, most people have probably experienced this as being stuck on a really thorny problem at work or perhaps in a relationship or some other area of their life. And when they're effortlessly trying to solve the problem, they get nowhere. But then two days later when they're taking a shower or when they're commuting on the way to a race, or when they're out on a long run, the answer just magically pops into their mind. And that is your subconscious serving up the, the answer. That's the creativity. That's what the mystics would say is the mystical. There, all these things are pointing to the same thing, which is when we, when we do non-doing, um, not every time, but often the result of that is gonna be something that is, is really important and, and fulfilling and, and nurturing. And what ends up happening in Western culture, I mean, especially here in the States, but I'm sure in the UK as well, is we get so focused on productivity and optimization that we never give ourselves the time and space to just shut down and let the magic happen, uh, as, as it would be told. Yeah, and I see this a lot with runners, actually. Um, you've just kind of like hit a nail on the head. Sometimes you don't need to change the training program. Sometimes you just need to run for an easy for a period of time and allow the the six week block of speed work you may have done to, to just be absorbed and then all of a sudden you get turnover of your legs and things feel better um and i think there's also a for me this thing of 
you create something or you do something, there always has to be a target. Um, I think you you know obviously the great man himself Kipchoge you know he before he did Berlin last year he got asked are you going to break the world record and he said I'm going to have a good race that's you know I'm just going to have a good race if I have a good race then if it breaks the world record great but like I'm not going to do anything better than I'm just going to do what I do I'm just going to run a race and I think it's um it's really really powerful and I think sometimes in our lives instead of always thinking about these targets and always thinking about these um, grand goals, sometimes being in the practice of doing um, doing the task, in the practice of living, um, it can be extremely powerful. Um, and that, that was what I gained from, from what you were, you know, alluding to in the book. Yeah, and I, and I think that um, what ends up happening when we get target fixation is that we end up spending a lot of um, time and energy worrying about or thinking about this goal, which is very different than actually enjoying the process and or doing anything about it. So every moment that you have stressing about your race, that is just like a mental creation in your head. It's not helping your training. It's not making you feel happy. Um, So the more that we can learn to set those goals, but then release from them and focus on the process instead, um, the better. And and as you mentioned, I think the the great Elia Kipchoge is a wonderful example of an elite runner who who does this and is the best in the world um, as a result. You see it in all sorts of other pursuits as well that people, when you get really focused on a goal, it tends to lead to a sense of restlessness, anxiety, um, frantic and frenetic energy, making changes too early. This is the runner that is on a program and they're not seeing immediate results. So they stress and then they go read some forum and then they go to their coach and they say, Hey, I need to be doing this, this, and this. And then two months later, they switch again. Um, it's all just a lot of frantic and frenetic energy. Whereas if we can slow down and, and, and be in the process, things tend to work out. My experience has been with athletes, and I'm going to paint in in broad strokes here, so this is a a little bit stereotypical. It's not meant to be taken completely literally, but I think there's some truth to it. I'd say about 95% of programs are just completely reckless. They're made by clowns that have no no right to do what they're doing. I'd say 5% of programs, presumably um, those that are crafted by actual professional coaches, who have studied exercise science, who have worked with elite athletes, 5% of programs are great. And once you pick one of those 5%, they can be different too. Some some people run 100 miles a week to be great, some run 60, some run 40, some do a lot more intervals, some do a lot more strength. Once you're in a program with a coach that is a professional, that knows what they're doing, as long as you stick to that program over time, you are going to get better. So. You know, there's that saying, there's many roads to Rome. And I think that's true. There's a lot of roads that are grifters and charlatans. And once you cut those out and you focus on the 5% of roads that are good, it doesn't really matter which one you pick. You should pick the one where you get get on with the coach best and then just stick to that road for years, not for months, but for years. And then you'll see the result. Thank you. This is what I've been talking about in uh, physiotherapy sessions. But now I'm bringing it out to the wider world. And Brad... (laughs) Yeah, you really are 
yeah, I, you know, you, I agree with a lot of what you say. So this, this podcast is going to be a little biased, but, you know, it is what it is because I think Brad has some unbelievable um, thoughts and, and ways of, of kind of highlighting things that I see and I, I can feel when I work with people and even with my own running journey, you know, it took me nine marathons to break three hours, although I could run a half marathon in one hour 19. So I've gone through this experience personally, and a lot of the time I was doing the scatter, you know, try and find something new, use this, use that. Um, and a lot of the time it was, I just needed to to, to just allow the good things to happen. And um, I think it's, it's sometimes really, really hard to do that in a world where everybody always has a new Instagram post or they have a new article or somebody's doing something they're telling you you know everywhere and anywhere somebody's shouting about something and it can be really tough but I want everybody out there to be thinking about way woo way and just letting good things happen um and it's just a process and being okay and it's with such that. a stress relief man when you can once once you find your coach and you find your process and you accept it it's such a stress release to just show up and do the work and, and not worry and have the faith um, that, that it's going to work out because you've put yourself in a position to succeed over the long haul. And also, um, let me just pick your brains about this. I mean, we know successful people go through lots of failures. So what does, what does sometimes the approach to, to that, that period of time going through a failure, um, what, what does that entail for, for people you work with and how do you, because I know there'll be people uh, from my running community listening to this and and anybody who's listening to this who I know for sure are afraid of failure and they don't know how to approach and live in that moment of maybe not su- not succeeding, maybe not being where they want to be. What how would you how would you kind of frame that and what do you what do you advise and how do you coach them? Mm. Well, I think that the first thing that I'd say is that um Failure is just a part of the process. So if you're going to do anything well over a long period of time, you're going to fail. And I don't like to sugarcoat failure. I don't like to say fail forward or any of that because failure sucks. Like it hurts. It's disappointing. It's frustrating. What is though empirically true is that when you zoom out, then that failure just becomes information. So in the moment, a failure sucks, but eight years later, you probably did learn something from that failure and and it becomes information on your path. Now, the million dollar question that no one ever has the answer to is, did you fail as a result of bad luck and you ought not change anything and be patient? Did you fail because of some missteps and you've learned and you should tweak and make adjustments to your process? Or did you fail and it requires a total overhaul of your process? And I don't have the answer, but I think just pausing and considering those things makes a lot of sense. And there is a bias for people. It's called the commission bias to do something when things go wrong, a la change the program. Whereas many times the right thing to do is actually nothing at all back to that doing non doing, except that, Hey, this failure happened. Let's give this a little bit more time. Now, if six months down the road, you're failing and it seems you're failing for the same reasons, then that's a good time to reevaluate and perhaps make some changes to to what you're doing. And it's going to depend, right? For a a world-class athlete, 
the cycles are four years to eight years, right? It's one to two Olympic cycles. So the learning feedback loop is a lot slower. For a recreational athlete, you know, if you're just starting and you're butting your head up against the wall for eight months, then yeah, maybe you want to try training in a slightly different style. But um, I think we're where we get in trouble, and this, this goes with that target fixation on the goal, is when we put so much pressure on ourselves to achieve a goal and we tie our self-worth to it and our happiness to it and all and everything, then if we don't get it, if we fail, it becomes this devastating thing that makes us not really want to do the sport anymore or makes us anxious about it. Um, I think a lot of athletes suffer from this, even if you're not a pro. Like There's this self-imposed pressure to, to perform well, and um, that pressure can be a really good force of drive and ambition, but it can also be a, be a force of burnout. Yeah, for sure. And I think one thing that I noticed with some of the best runners I've coached, recreational runners and people I've worked with who are at elite level, is that they are here and now. And even in the failure, they're here and now. So they won't be thinking about what they previously did or what they're looking forward to in the future. They're just here and now and they just... I think sitting with the moment sometimes can be quite powerful. Um, and as you said, I, we, we can't always sugar, you know, sugarcoating it sometimes isn't, isn't the best thing. Um, and I think sometimes for different personalities, they do benefit from moving away completely from that period of time um, just so that they can, you know, disconnect before they reconnect with the sport or the action. Yeah, and I think this is where community is also really helpful, right? If you have a community of people that get it, they're going to be there to support you. Mm. Um, and, and because they'll, they'll know themselves from their own failures. And um, But the biggest thing, I think, is the expectation that you're going to fail. Not that you should want to, not that you're going to celebrate it, but that eventually, if you do this thing for long enough, you are going to fail. Even Aliyah Kipchoge has lost a race before. Mm. That's it. For sure. Um, something that I've been looking at and thinking about recently um, along the lines of this failure is post-traumatic growth. I don't know if you've ever heard or, or kind of been, um, you know, thinking about this. Um, have you any thoughts on it? And, and is this something that you've um, utilized and discussed with people you work with? Yeah, I've thought a lot about this, actually, and um, I want to be clear that when we talk about post-traumatic growth, trauma can mean different things to different people. Um, so for some people, trauma is the loss of a loved one in an accident. Um, it's sexual assault or harassment. It is having a parent that was uh, put in prison wrongfully or rightfully. But trauma can also be smaller traumas. Um, so caring really deeply about something and just having it not go your way. So it's kind of, it's, it's in the eye of the beholder and the, generally speaking, the bigger the trauma, the longer it takes to get to the other side of it and experience growth. Now, what the research shows pretty unequivocally is that most people grow from trauma. So PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, it's real, it's debilitating, it's terrible. The vast majority of people that experience trauma don't end up with PTSD. Now, that's not to say that anyone that has PTSD, there's something wrong with them. Every brain is different. Every trauma is different. Every circumstance is different. It's just a fact that most people that go through really shitty things do not end up with PTSD. They end up growing from that trauma. Now, what's really interesting also, and I find equally important, is that the growth curve is not immediate. So when people experience a trauma, generally for three to nine months, they feel worse. They feel depressed, they feel down, it sucks. 
And when you're in that period of suckiness, telling yourself like, oh, I'm going to grow, I'm going to learn, it just works against you because it's like, why, why put extra pressure on yourself? Your job is just to get through. But once people get through and once they're on the other side, then they experience growth. Um, there's this study that I know because I, I'm writing a book and this is actually, I'm glad you asked, this is a big part of the book, is this how we grow from, from change and challenge. And researchers at the University of Wisconsin, they took people who experienced traumas that were so bad that they had to spend time in a level one trauma ICU. So these are people that had terrible physical accidents on the brink of death. And then they charted their, co their course. And the researchers concluded that they were one, shocked how few people experience PTSD given what they'd gone through. Number two, the, the course to growth was very predictable. It went down, down, down. People did worse, 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 worse. And then in about three to six months, it bottomed out. And then six to 12 months, it started going up. And then by a year, two, three years later, people were stronger than they were before the accident psychologically. So to me, the most important thing is if you're in the midst of something that you are experiencing as traumatic is to be patient with yourself and to realize that you might have that, that three to six month period where you just feel like shit. And your job is simply to show up, keep living, get support, get through, and just let the growth and the meaning take care of itself on the other side. Yeah. But have, have, have some like, take some solace and some comfort in the fact that you likely will get meaning. I mean, in my own life, I've gone through a really shitty time of um, obsessive compulsive disorder with secondary depression. And when I was in the middle of it, like when it was really bad, there was no thought of growth or meaning or anything potentially positive about it. It just sucked. But when I look back on it years later, I've grown so much from it. And that's the paradox. But if when I was in it, if I would have said like, oh, you need to grow from this, it just would have made me feel even worse. Because I'm like, how can I grow from this? This just sucks. Yeah. So I think that our job is just to get through the challenging times and then let the growth come on its own. And according to the research, it, it, it's more likely that it will than it won't. Thank you so much for sharing that. And um, I want to share also that personally, um, my mother wasn't very well during COVID and it was quite... An impactful thing it was definitely a growth that I went through um, and the reason being is because my mother is like she's my best friend you know it, mm. she's just somebody who's like the cornerstone of your life so it was a real challenge um, and I'm grateful she's got through it and 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 yeah she's she's doing well and I would say when I run and I get through a difficult training session I feel like those are micro traumas that psychologically I use and I think everybody can use. And that's why I'm a big advocate of either doing some strength work, some exercise, because I think you go through difficult micro traumas every day, which can benefit you if you are resilient and you have um, the resources. And I always say to people, you have to have the psychological and emotional resources if you don't have any resources, let's not do it. Let's not exercise right now. It might not be the best thing. Talking might be the best thing. Going for a walk or, you know, I don't know, just even having a, like a hot bath. I just tell some of my patients sometimes, especially if they've had chronic pain for years, they don't sometimes have the psychological or emotional uh, resources to, to start doing, a, a, you know, shoulder press or deadlift or going for a run. Their resources might be, um, so low that they need topping up and that topping up comes from um, 
things that you've talked about, I think, in the in, in your book, The Practice of Groundedness, which is, you know, community. It's, um, you know, just looking after themselves, having maybe even a, you know, a friendship group or talking therapy. And, and that's something that I'm, I'm really passionate about. And I think we, we try and think that elite athletes are going to be different to our general public. But I think we also are very similar, although we are very different. We need, we need those psychological and emotional resources. And as I said, I cannot recommend Brad's book enough. <laughs> please do, please do go and unpick it for yourself because the things that I'm talking about and, and Brad's talking about, you know, I think you can, um, you can really find some tools there to live to live life, and um, that's what I'm really big about, big on in in terms of providing information through this podcast, and um, yeah, it's really important. So post traumatic growth, so going through something difficult can be can be useful, and finding tools like Brad's book all the time is through your life it's it's very powerful um what's um what's something in the future that you think is is going to be integral to our lifestyle Brad what what's something that we we maybe have not picked what's the future of um being a lifestyle architect designing your lifestyle and um you know high performance what would you say I think getting really good at navigating change and um, realizing that change isn't the exception, change is the rule. We think of change as these events that happen to us, but we're always in a conversation with change. Um, we're, we're a different person than we were the day before, the week before, the year before. Our family systems are constantly changing. The world around us is constantly changing. And um, whereas even just 70 years ago, before the computer, or at least before the modern computer, the, the rate of change was maybe a little bit slower. And now we live in a world where there's just intensive, accelerating, rapid, all the, the superlatives are, are true when it comes to change. Um, and a lot of people really struggle with it. And I think that figuring out the, the right resources and the right skills and the right toolkit to I don't even want to say deal with change. I want to say like dance with change, right? Because change is ever present. So to be able to dance with change, I think is going to be uh, more and more important for all of us. Wow, that's something um, I don't like. <laughs> a lot of people don't, especially runners. We like to have a plan and stick to it. I mean, my morning, you know, like people are like, oh, my morning routine, it's like this, bam, bam, bam. I don't have that. I'm like, you know, I kind of, I'm on the fly. Um so I guess I can I can kind of evolve with change and have different mornings, but I think that they're under my terms. I mean, I'm kind of in control of that. But change yeah. that I'm not in control of, wow, You, if you want to see somebody stressed, see me stressed. But it's not just you, it's all of us. And that's why I think it's going to be really important to, to deal with. And, and what made me start thinking deeply about this topic is during the, the middle of the pandemic, all of these articles were like, the headlines, when are we gonna get back to normal? And I'm thinking we're not getting back to normal. Like there's no going back. You know, we can move forward and hopefully we can make progress and grow in different ways, but like there's no going back after a big change. And obviously that's true with a societal change like COVID, but it's true with so many of the personal changes in our lives too. And I think that we just think about change all wrong. I think we think about it again as this bad thing that happens to us and we need to either avoid it or get back to how we were instead of thinking about it as this constant ebb and flow 
that we're, we're, we're always working with and in conversation with. And, and the goal is never to go back. It's to move forward and to integrate and to evolve. Um, you know, the athlete that gets injured is not going to be the same athlete they were before the injury. And if they think they are, they're, they're just going to be disappointed. Maybe they'll be better, but they'll be a different athlete. And I think that that's, that metaphor is true for all the changes in our lives. Yeah, nice. I think that's um, something I, I'm good at promoting, but I can think I can say that when I don't feel like I have the control, change is a difficult one. But yeah, I'm gonna try and um, I'm gonna try and um, I'm gonna try and engage with it and dance with it. As you said, I think it's really important. Um, and you have you have some books coming out. You think you just mentioned? You, is that right? Yeah, I have a book coming out in September of um, of this year. So about nine months from now, eight months from now, coming up. That's exciting. How's the how's the writing of that book coming along? Coming along well. Um, publishing has a pretty long runway, so the actual writing itself is is virtually done. So now it's the the fun part. So designing the cover, the font, um, coming up with the launch plan, the publicity. Uh, all of that will will be the work of getting this book out into the world. Um, hopefully I can come back on the podcast when it comes out. It's about change. So I'll make sure you get a copy. And I think we'll have lots to talk about because I'm like you. You know, I, I, I wanted to explore this topic because um, I actually write this verbatim in the book. You know, if you if you imagine a spectrum and on one end is um, like routine in in rigidity and on the other end is like flexibility. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm on the routine end. So change is hard for me. But we don't have a choice, and I've undergone just a lot of changes in my own life, not not by choice, um, or at least some by choice, but but others not. And it got me thinking that you know I I, I spend so much time thinking about routine and planning and what's going to work in service of me, and I should at least spend equal, if not more, time thinking about how to deal with the stuff that comes up that I can't control. And and I think you you've worked with Shalane, is that right? Yeah, I did. Yeah. I helped Shalane out um, towards the end of her career, going into her retirement. So, um, so I that's think, a big I, change. That's like yeah, that's about as I big think, of a change as you get. I think we, I think we could have a three-way conversation um, for the next for the next podcast. But I think my thing is that we we kind of use sport as as a tool. Okay, yes, this is the physical. We can get into that, and it's one of the facets to keep us grounded. But I think we need to make sure that we have a preparation psychologically for sport and that's what is important for me and that's why lifestyle is part of this podcast because I could have made this podcast the running podcast or running with Manny, you know, but I felt like it had to have facets because you don't just put your shoes on, put your clothes on, go for a run. There's all there's all these these different parts of you around that run and the one part which I really, really delve into quite deeply because of my job as a physiotherapist and because it also unlocks what I think and, and how I feel and how I live, it's definitely this this lifestyle aspect, this kind of approach, the psycho the psychometrics of, of how we live. And I think it's it's extremely powerful and we've seen it obviously with 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 Kipchoge, but there's a guy called Sami Wanjura who is an amazing mm-hmm. athlete. Do you know have you heard of Sami Wanjura? Yeah, I never met him, but yeah, I'm familiar. Yeah, so Sammy Wanjura is probably my my all time favorite marathon runner. Um, sorry, sorry, Elid. Uh, I've met Elid twice, but Sammy, I wish some, I wish I'd met him because he he would run with such veracity and just 
he just psychologically I felt that he was one of the the most hardened athletes um, we'd ever seen. Um, and I think it's important and I'd like to hopefully get you involved with some things with Nike because I think it's important we start providing psychological tools to people outside of um, the activity, you know, and, and doing things prior to the activity. So some things that I talk about with athletes I work with before they go for a run, I tell them about, um, you know, maybe before you go for your marathon, you, you, would, you would think about the, the long run that you did the hard long run and how it it fortified your brain and your your legs were tough your your legs were heavy and all of that acts as a for me as a as a fire for that race and what i want everybody to think about um and and look at who's listening to this podcast is how does your lifestyle fit into your 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 routine how does your lifestyle fit into what you do um and how does your lifestyle support your running and the culture around your running because i think those are so so important um Brad, yeah i think so and and i think um i never like like you i never met sammy i know the circumstances of his death are, are still unknown but either way really tragic and um it just makes you wonder if if we in elite sport especially if we spend too much time focusing on the athlete and their performance and not on the human being and equipping the human being for all the psychological highs and lows that are going to come with competing at that level. For sure. And, and yeah, it's, it's so, I couldn't agree anymore. Um, Brad, do you run yourself? You know, I don't currently run. I ran, um, for a decade and, um, now I've shifted more into my formal workouts, our strength training. And um, we live, as I mentioned, we live in Asheville, which is nestled in the Blue Ridge Mountains. And I've got two young kids. So um, almost all of my aerobic activity are, are, are long hikes in the mountains. Nice. Um, so that's, that's where I'm at right now in my physical practice. Nice. But you, you, did, you did run previously, is that right? I ran previously and I, I, um, I was decent, you know, I grew up playing power sports. I grew up playing American football and basketball. Um, I'm bigger and, um, running, it just, it, 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 it was constantly, um, just a challenge. Like my body wants to be a power athlete. Uh, and I really wanted to run a sub three marathon and, um, I ran a three Oh one and change oh, man. and, um, that's as fast as I ever got. And, and I think that I probably had a little bit too much of focus on the goal. And, um, and, and shortly after that, I, I dealt with a series of injuries and then my, my first son was born and I said, you know, I think that, um, I think it's going to be a new season of my life where I'm going to focus just on popping the kid in the, the backpack, you know, those mm. carrying cases and just. Yeah getting my exercise in with, with him and that's stuck. Uh, but maybe at some point I'll go back to running. Who knows? I love that. And in terms of your strength training now, how much you do, how much you do per week and what does it look like? I, I train four days a week. Um, and each training session is about an hour and 15 minutes. Um, so, you know, a decent amount of focused training, but nothing, Nothing more. At times, you know, I get that itch to, to really go all in and see how good I could be. But then I remind myself that I'd have to sacrifice a lot. And um, I'm just not at a place in my life where I'm, I'm willing to do that. But um, but I, I train when I train in that hour and 15 minutes, I, I train hard and I focus um, and I'm still on the curve of progress, which is nice. It's always good. It's always good. And your children run? 
So Theo is almost five, and he has recently gotten super into basketball. So his favorite sport in the world is basketball. Um, my daughter is very young, so she's not even walking yet. So we'll have to see. Um, <laughs> but my wife is a big runner, so running is still a big part of our family, and, and the kids are going to grow up watching her run. And, um, you know, we'll do fun runs and, and all of that and expose them to running very early. Nice, nice. Um, so just to wrap this up and, and close off this conversation, I think what I'd like uh, you to maybe provide for us is maybe a little bit of a synopsis to say, you know, what, what would you, what would you like people to, to remember from this podcast in the way they approach their lifestyle? Figure out what makes you tick, figure out those different systems don't aim to be perfect you're just going to stress yourself out aim to be good enough across all of them stop there brad can, can you say that last one again please just because i just... don't aim to be perfect you're going to stress yourself out just aim to be good enough across all of them um i am uh, i have the privilege to be close friends with and, and he's one of my mentors a guy named Stuart mcmillan who's coached over 35 olympic medalists in sprint sports and um Stu thinks about athletic performance, but I, I've told him this is just true for anything in life, is being really complex. And anytime you have a complex system with different parts, if you try to over-optimize the system, the thing has all sorts of unintended consequences. It explodes on you. So Stu says, with my athletes trying to win gold medals, right? For those that don't know, he coached Andre de Grasse. So everyone knows the smile where that young Canadian smiled and Usain Bolt smiled back at him. That's Andre de Grasse. So he's coaching the best in the world. And um, he said he never tries to have them get to 10 out of 10 on any component of their performance. He just wants them at 8 out of 10. And the reason is because if you stress about being perfect, it's going to blow up somewhere else. So I've taken that and I apply that to all of life. And I think that that is just so, so important. And then being really patient and surrounding yourself with good coaching, good community uh, to, to walk the path towards your goals with you and to keep you focused on the process more than the outcome. And I think you do that and, and you expect to fail along the way and you play the long game. Um, whether or not you win the medal or run the three hour marathon, you're gonna grow as a person and that's what it's all about. So powerful, so powerful. Thank you so much, Brad. We have one, I have one more question for you, Brad. Um, you don't know about this question. It's a question I, I give to every person on the podcast. All you have to do is tell us one track that you may be listening to at the moment. It may be something that's motivating. One piece of music. I'm going to play a 10 second snippet of that piece of music so people can go and listen. And I think, you know, running, lifestyle, culture, we have lots of different things we can use. And music is one of the most powerful things, I think, sometimes. Um, so any song that you like right now or you, you know, you would go to, it's your go to song. And I'll play the last snippet of that at the end of this podcast. So I, I have fallen in love with the artist Noah Khan. He's, um, he's like a folk singer here. Okay. In, um, in, and I say here, but he actually isn't from North Carolina. He's from Vermont. But he has like a very kind of um, folksy Blue Ridge uh, sound. So his entire album, Stick Season, has just been on repeat on my, um, on my, my Spotify. If I had to pick a favorite song from that album... Oh man, um, probably Northern Attitude okay. or New Perspective. Those would be my two favorites. Okay, cool. 
Uh, let's go for Northern Attitude, the first one you mentioned. Noah Khan, Northern Attitude, right? That's it. Perfect. Um, this has been the Running Lifestyle Culture Podcast. I have been Manny Avola, the people's coach, and we have had Mr. Brad Stolberg. Please do go and get his book, The Practice of Groundedness. You can listen to it as an audio book on your run, or you can obviously do the traditional way buy it buy it as a as a book with the paper read it page to page but either way i think it will give you tools for life um thank you so much for your time brad i really really do appreciate it thank you manny it's been a pleasure getting to um getting to have this conversation with you all right brad recommended northern attitude by noah khan so here's a snippet of that track let's go track was a little bit vibey that will get you chilling out so go ahead go listen to that Noah Khan Northern Attitude I'm Coach Manny this has been Running Lifestyle Culture the podcast please go review it Spotify iTunes Coach Manny out peace